On this episode of Have Talk, we discuss the ditching of a Transair 737-200 in Hawaii. Delta is headed to the used plane lot, and we are finally ready to launch Richard Branson into space. Hello and welcome to episode 119 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with... Jason Urbanowitz. Hi, Ian. How are you? Hello, Jason. I'm well. How was your week so far? It's good. Shorter week this week, which is nice. I love those three-day weekends. We should have every weekend be a three-day weekend. I mean, I I wouldn't say no to that. I don't know. I don't really, I don't really know what I do with my time, though. I think you'd find something. I don't know. I, I just, I just feel like that would be, that would end up being more work. Okay, sure. I don't know. I'll take three day weekends, and you can continue your your five. I will day give weekend. you my yes. I will give you my three day weekend. Perfect. Thank you. I'm glad we could settle that. Yes. So, uh, I mean, did you do anything fun over the three day weekend? Yeah, but nothing worth talking about. Fair enough. Since we're recording the podcast this week, I did survive camping with all the kids. I should point out that it was a terrible idea in case anyone was wondering. Having nothing to do with the, the kids at all, but taking kids camping over the 4th of July weekend, not great for the whole, you know, lots of people lighting off illegal fireworks. Ah, that's how they get you. So, so that was less than enthusiastic. Uh, I was less than enthusiastic about that, but what are you, what are you going to do? Let's talk about I think the the biggest story of, of last week was the the ditching of the Transair 737-200 cargo aircraft near Honolulu. A pretty incredible story, considering that both pilots survived the accident, are were t- rescued by the the coast, U.S. Coast Guard, and taken to the hospital. Uh, the NTSB has said that they are scheduling interviews with the pilots. So that to me says that they're at least well enough to be interviewed by the NTSB. So th- to me, that in my mind, that's good news. Yeah. Initially, I think I read one of them was in critical condition, but I guess that was upgraded rather quickly because the NTSB does not interview crew members who are in critical condition in the hospital. Yeah. So so hopefully they're going to make a full recovery. What happened, what we know so far was that the aircraft was departing from Honolulu not long after departure, a few minutes, the one of the engines failed on the aircraft and then the second engine based on the air traffic control recordings and, and what we know so far from from the kind of brief that the investigation has given us the pilots thought that the second engine was about to fail, so they decided to turn back. They turned back, but just didn't make it, uh, and so ended up ditching in the bay. It's rather remarkable that all of this happened in the dark. Yeah, in the middle of the night in Honolulu, I think the departure was something like 4 a.m., or still very, very dark out. And listening to the air traffic control communications, which were recorded by live ATC, it was one of those kind of 
accidents where everyone is doing exactly what they're supposed to do. The two pilots kept their calm. They communicated to air traffic control. And the one controller who was on frequency since you know it was the middle of the night in Honolulu. Yeah, she handled it in exceptional. The yeah, 1.30. That, that sounds more accurate. But the, the one controller that was on in the tower operating on frequency at the time was also very calm, very professional, very helpful. Unfortunately, the flight was not able to make it back to land, but not for lack of trying. What we don't know at this stage is why one of the two engines failed and then why subsequently the second engine was either going to fail or did fail. I don't think we're quite certain on that. We All we heard on the frequency was that the second engine, the last remaining engine was running hot and they didn't think it would remain operating, but we don't actually know if that engine shut down or if it was producing idle thrust or just not enough thrust to get them back to Honolulu. Yeah, yeah. So the aircraft sank. And so the investigation that's happening, the, the stage of the investigation that, that's happening this week is that they're going to use side scanning sonar to locate the aircraft and then recover the flight data recorder and the cockpit voice recorder. And as we know, from previous episodes, uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. The recording division takes over from there and then processes those recorders, and, and hopefully, there's you know all the data that is necessary to to help determine the cause available there. But but we'll see, given what kind of data is is being recorded and how many parameters are on there. Yeah, we we don't quite yet know what information would have been recorded on this aircraft. Keeping in mind, it's a 47-year-old 737-200, so it may still be operating with non-digital recorders, I believe is a possibility. So it may not be have recorded many parameters or unfortunately may not have been working at all, but we will see. Hopefully, they're able to recover those rather quickly. Yeah. So 45 years, first delivered in July of 1975 and, and went through a, a long list of of, of airlines uh, from 1975 all the way up to 2014 when it began operation with Transair. So delivered to Pacific Western Airlines in 1975, uh, then Canadian Airlines International, converted to cargo for Canair Cargo, went to Royal Aviation uh, up in Canada. Uh, then it flew for TransSmile Air Services. Oh, of course. So I don't know if that's Transmile or Transmile, probably Transmile, but I'm I'm going with either one. Then uh, 2014, it started operating for for Transair. So a a long uh, long history of uh, of of changing, like like all you know old aircraft like this uh, flew for many airlines, and uh, and now rests at the bottom of Mamala Bay near Honolulu. So there are 10 NTSB investigators working on this. Oh, that's a lot of NTSB personnel. <laughs> I mean, if you have to send a lot of people, Hawaii is not a terrible place to send a lot of people. Um, no, I, I would be more than happy to accept that assignment uh, compared yeah, I, to some of the places yeah. they end up being dispatched to. I, I just can't help but wonder what what is it that they're doing since they don't have the aircraft? I'm sure they're very busy, but without the physical aircraft or the recorders or, or really much of anything, uh, what are they doing? Well, I mean, a, a lot of that is is a finding 
finding are, the aircraft. Did the investigators then, themselves go out and search for the aircraft? or they, I thought they contract out to firms that have equipment to do this kind of thing. Yeah, but, but they I guess have they're, to, they're there with them. Right. They're, they're there with them. So I think that's a, a a big part of it. But then also you've got you know people looking over maintenance records at, at the uh, at the the so this was a, a transit aircraft operated by Rhodes Aviation. So you know looking at their their maintenance practices and all of those things to continue you know kind of checking on things. Obviously they have the waiting to interview the pilots, uh, interview the flight traffic air traffic controller. Um, so they're, they're doing, you know, lots of other things, but it's a big team. Yeah, good. I hope they find out what the cause was. Not that there are that many 737 out there, but I'm sure they'll find something out that will enhance safety around the world. Yeah. So I think last episode, we discussed some possible New it was last episode. We discussed some possible new aircraft uh, for Delta Airlines because United has gone the route of buying every single new narrow body aircraft it can find. Delta's going a different route, and, and this was last week based on uh, supposition and, and some rumors. And this week we we have confirmation that that is exactly what Delta is going to do and pick up X. LATAM A350s and X Lion Air 737-900s. Uh, so, so there you go. No, that's confirmation via John Ostrauer. The airline itself has not mm. come public with that I take information. That yes, yes. So, um, but you're reporting as confirmed uh, from John Ostrauer, and and I will take that for the purposes of these this podcast. I will take that as confirmed. Yes, exactly. And again, that it makes sense as LATAM withdrew its entire A350 fleet. The Lion Air 737-900s, that's a bit more interesting as Delta has definitely taken used aircraft in the past, but not of the 737 variety. That ironically in the past has been United's thing, taking used 737s or, or used narrow bodies in general from all over the world and putting them into service. Yeah, or or in United's case, parting them out for its existing fleet. They've been taking a lot of former EasyJet A319, and I'm not sure if it's A320s as well. But it just you know stripping the titles, flying them to the desert, taking them apart, and then filtering the parts into the rest of their fleet. So, so that's a yeah interesting thing that that Delta's doing. I know a lot of the comments that we got last week after we talked about this on the podcast, was uh, well, it better not be the max. They better not be getting the max because I fly Delta because they don't have the max. And that's an interesting position to be in to be able to fly an airline because they don't have a, a certain type of aircraft. But it, to me, the Delta taking the max just never made sense because they've got, they've got this availability you know, with the used market, that that seemed to be the way to go, especially given given Delta Tech Ops's massive capabilities. And it all, Delta also has an existing very large NG fleet, and taking these NGs means they don't have to do any additional pilot training; they're ready to go. Yeah, I- exactly. So that'll be interesting to see how quickly they can filter those in uh, and and bring them over. It sounds like uh, Steve Giordano is going to be very busy. 
he's already very busy. I don't well, think he, the man can busy. fly any additional fights. Speaking of, I, I get, we didn't have this in the the schedule, but I want to talk about for a second that the one of the flights that his company operator, maybe he was on uh, a seven three seven eight hundred an NG. So this was not a Max. I think it was from Kansas City all the way to Honolulu nonstop. Yep, yep. that is impressive. It was the so he he posted on Twitter. It, I can link that in the in the show notes. But it was a Virgin Australia seven three seven going back. It had come back to the lesser. It was being stored. It was going back from you know back the other way basically. And yeah, so he said it was the max range of the aircraft. So three thousand eight hundred ninety-four miles as the crow flies. That's a hell of a seven-three flight. Yeah. Keeping in mind it was empty, aside from you know the crew on board. There are no passengers, no bag, nothing else on this aircraft, but fuel and the two people to fly it. Yeah, lot, lots of fuel and and a couple of pilots, I guess. But they're also going against the wind on this flight, which makes yeah. it even more interesting since they were going west. Yeah, that, I mean just. Just thinking about the the logistics involved in planning one, one of those flights, you know, on a regular basis. But forget that, and, and just you've got the max range of the aircraft to contend against. Where, where do we go if you know if winds are stronger than predicted? We should have Steve back on and ask him. We should if we ever find a moment where he's on the ground. I mean, we just go take a flight with him and problem solved. Oh, okay. Let's there go. There you go. So that is what Delta's plan seems to be shaping up as. I think the taking the the Exotam A350s is the least surprise, absolute least surprising deal I've seen in a very long time, because that just makes sense. And and there have been rumblings about that when Latam first parked their A350 fleet. So that that to me makes makes perfect sense. In good news, Porter is finally coming back. Hopefully, maybe we'll see. Probably, but, but they're they're excited about it, and yeah, and I'm yeah. excited about it because who doesn't love a good raccoon? Yeah, Mr. Porter is up there as one of my favorite animal airline mascots, up there along with the Search Hurdle from Cayman Airways. But Porter, poor Porter, their most of its business was transborder flying between Canada and the U.S. and the Northeast, which of course still isn't really possible. Canadian citizens can go abroad and come back without quarantining if they're vaccinated and can prove it. But I, as an American, can still not just go to Canada. So that's a a, a big wrench in Porter's business plan. They basically didn't have business for the last 16 months, but they finally, finally will be coming back in a few months. Uh, I hope it sticks. They must know something we don't, that the borders will reopen by the time they start flying. Because I can't imagine... They will have many passengers with the border still not open. But then again, Air Canada ramped up flying here to New York, to LaGuardia even. We're seeing A22300s and 73 Max, even though the border's still closed. So I, I, I don't know. I, yeah. So the, the first phase uh, for Porta, Porter is the destinations of Halifax, Moncton, Montreal, Ottawa, Quebec City, St. John's, Thunder Bay, and Toronto. That will happen on September 8th 
And then U.S. destinations, including Boston, Chicago, New York, and Washington, will follow on September 17th. At least that is the plan this time around. The plan this time around involves government assistance. So that's why they seem much more assured in their reopening. But but we'll see whether or not they can fly their transporter flights, and, and that'll have a big long-term impact, how long those passenger numbers remain kind of unsustainable, uh, I, I guess. Jason, what is Mitsubishi doing to the CRJ, and, and why do I care about it? Well, uh, nobody really knows what Mitsubishi is up to these days, but uh, Liam News and Analysis published an exclusive report a few days ago that Mitsubishi is considering restarting production of the discontinued CRJ line, in particular the CRJ 700. And you may ask, why the CRJ 700? That feels like the kind of the least relevant of the modern CRJs. And well, specifically because the CRJ 550, which is United's 50-seater, don't call it a 50-seater regional jet, is apparently quite popular with the airline and that they might possibly ever so possibly, I think, restart the CRJ line just to produce more CR, CRJ 550s, which is really the 700. But I can't imagine that possibly happening because the, the analysis does state that Bombardier or I guess Mitsubishi, they dismantled the production line that they converted it over to um, to an Airbus A220 production facility, I believe. And the entire, I guess, the, the product line, I, I guess you would say, or the, uh, the supply chain doesn't exist for the CRJ anymore. So I don't know how you would possibly restart production of that aircraft and make it profitable, but the idea is kicking around up there in Canada. I, yeah, I just... Mitsubishi just doesn't – what are they doing? Well, that's a part of the, the, the thing is what are they doing is, well, they're not doing anything right now because the, the space jet or the MRJ isn't a thing anymore. They, they canceled – effectively canceled that program, so they have nothing left. So I, why not turn the CRJ line back on? Why not? Sure. Let's, let's do it. Speaking of – well, I don't want to say regional jets, but – somewhat regionally jettish. This is a weird one to me. Aristana, the, the, the Kazakhstan-based airline, is suing Embraer over some issues that it has had with their uh, E-190E2s. And Embraer has issued some statements in response. And I'm very confused by by what's going on here and and how this wasn't resolved before it got to court. But, but Jason, you've been following us a little bit closer. Can, can you explain this one to me? Yeah, I, I've been following it more closely in that I've read all three tweets I can find about it. But basically, I'll take Arist- it. Yeah, you'll take it. Aristana is one of the very few Embraer E190E2 customers that are out there right now. And it's experiencing some, I guess you would say, teething issues, as many airlines do with new aircraft. And in particular, Aristana has experienced 23 false smoke warnings in the electronic bay, which was later identified to be 
dust, which is not that big a deal. But when you have smoke warnings going off and the flight crews take action, uh, that's a problem. So specifically, they, the, the ECAS messages have displayed center electronics bay smoke, which if you're a pilot, that could mean anything. That could mean it could mean it's uh, malfunctioning equipment. It could be a bad smoke detector. It could be an actual fire in the engineering bay. So obviously they're going to follow the, the QRH, which is provided by Embraer. And unfortunately for this, if there's a fire in the electronics bay, you have to shut off a lot of the electrical power for components that are down there. And in turn, they have actually had to dis- to deploy the Ram Air Turbine, which if you're not familiar, is a little um, a little wi- uh, air-driven turbine that pops out the bottom of the aircraft to generate a little bit of, of power when pretty much all else fails. It's something you never really want to have to deploy. It's a little weird in that Embraer is saying this never presented any sort of critical safety issue, but in turning off the power to the electronic components, they lost weather radar, the ground proximity sensor, auto throttle, fuel transfer. So they're losing some pretty critical components of that aircraft that they have shut down power to. But Embraer says it's okay, not a problem, doesn't present a safety risk. And it seems like Air Astana doesn't quite agree with that. No, uh, they don't agree with it enough so that they filed a a lawsuit, which these things, it, it seems like they would be resolved before they, they get to court, especially when Embraer doesn't have that many customers for the E2. And you would think that th- this would be some sort of thing where they could work it out, but I guess that's not the case. And they need they felt that they needed to file this lawsuit. Aristana felt it needed to file this lawsuit. And, and Embraer seems very, you know, no, this was a technical issue. It happened. Everything was within, within everything happened by the book and, and we fixed it. And Aristana then decided that they they were going to take their aircraft out of service and, and they're mad because they they did something. So I, I one assumes that this will settle at some point, as most of these things do, but an, an interesting one to follow nonetheless to see if if there are others that where where this becomes a, becomes an issue. Are other airlines having the same issue. Shall we take a uh, a, a short breath catching break and, and then come back? And talk about some of the things that are coming up this week and in the rest of the summer? Yes, we should. All right. We shall be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back. This Sunday, your good friend and mine, Richard Branson, will launch himself into space, becoming the 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 first billionaire vanity project to make it into space. Cool. I don't know if he's my good friend, but good for him. He's only been saying he's going to do this every year since like 2013. So it's about time they actually get to do it. Now, now it's actually going to happen. He's going to go up in in spaceship two, which is the spaceship that drops from uh, the the airborne launcher for for Virgin Virgin Galactic, and then they drop from the aircraft, they launch the rocket motor, and then they fly off into space. This only concerns us because both the launcher aircraft and the spaceship itself have are equipped with ADS-B. 
But there's a problem in that ADSB doesn't play nice with space. In that the numbers make the make ADSB go what? Oh, that's yeah. not supposed to happen. <laughs> we're not we're not programmed for this. So so you can track the the non-space portion of the flight for that using the registration N202VG, Virgin Galactic. So by all means, tune in Sunday. I'm sure we'll have a post or two about this just to keep tabs on it uh, and follow along. So that'll be that'll be interesting, and hopefully it actually happens so we don't have to hear about it any longer. Yeah, until uh, someone else wants to try it on Blue Origin or maybe with SpaceX or this will come again. Yeah, it'll be fine. So so that that's what's going on there. Last episode, we talked about Cranky Dorkfest and Spot LAX. It was pointed out to me that I didn't mention when or where or or what really for anyone who didn't if know what I was know, talking about. If you know, you know. So if you know, you know, I guess. For those that don't know, every year, Brett Snyder at Cranky Fire hosts a, a lawn gathering across the street from the... Uh, in and out at LAX, where we stand around and eat hamburgers and talk about airplanes. There is no cost other than a hamburger uh, if you want one, and you can just show up uh, 11 a.m. on the, the 18th of September this year. There are other events that take place throughout the weekend. That is still all being planned up. I'm sure that we will talk more about that uh, when the fine folks at NYC Aviation have all of that laid out. If you're interested in in attending or if you just want to say, yeah, hey, I'm going to be there. We'd love to chat. Go ahead and email us at podcast at fr24.com. Jason and I are trying to figure out what we're going to do while we're there as far as a podcast episode and things go. So we're working on that and, and we'll share more as we are able. So that's a little bit more information about that because I forgot about it last time. Information that was brought to my attention yesterday that I am still having trouble wrapping my head around includes the fact that the new CEO or or new as of January CEO of Lufthansa Cargo is named Von Boxberg. Mm, It's a little on the nose. (laughs) It's it's rather. It is is rather that. Dorothea Von Boxberg took over as CEO of Lufthansa Cargo on March 1st of this year. She's moving over from the chief commercial officer at uh, Lufthansa's uh, Air Freight subsidiary. And I am just fascinated by the fact that that her name is Von Boxberg. I, meant I to be. Just, Some things are just meant to be. So I just wanted to share that with everyone listening to the podcast, because sometimes these things just line up like that. Yeah, maybe next they can move over to, I think it's Aerologic, where their call sign is Box. It's indeed Box, yes, which is co-owned by Lufthansa. So oh, maybe perfect. It's, it's, it's possible. Yeah, it is It is possible. Yeah, the, the Aerologic's the joint venture between uh, Lufthansa and uh, DHL. So there you go. It, it could happen. So let's close the show and just talk about a few things that we've got going on internally here uh, that I would love to make people more aware of. One is that Gabriel Lee, who has joined us uh, on the podcast a few times interviewing 
various folks, is a very, 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 very good storyteller. And he has put his talents to use over on our YouTube channel with some flight videos and some very interesting things that he's gotten up to, like going to visit the world's largest wooden bear, for instance. But as it turns out, to get there, he got himself a private King Air flight to the middle of nowhere, Sweden. So so these things I thoroughly enjoy, and so I hope you will as well. We, we like doing these things because... We hope that as AvGeeks, if we are having fun doing them, you will hopefully have fun you know, being able to, to share in that with us. So head over to uh, our YouTube channel. We'll put a link in the show notes and check out those flight videos. Also on the YouTube channel, I know I mentioned this once or twice before, but just to, to re-up, we've got each week's podcast episode available with subtitles and a transcript there. So if that is something that is more your speed. If, if you want to follow along with subtitles or closed captioning, feel free to do that over on the YouTube channel. And then the last thing is a new, if, if you've been on the website recently, you'll notice a new button in the settings tab that is called widgets. And we've added a menu specifically for the things that can show up on the left side of the screen. And so we added most track flights, stats, tweets, and blog posts a long time ago. They've been there you know, nearly forever. But this is going to be the, the new home for these types of things. And the first new one is something we've called last clicked flights. So you can see the flights that you've clicked on most recently, the up to the five most flights that you've clicked on most recently, and and then quickly go back to them. Say, you know, you you want to see where that particular flight is now, if it was routing around a thunderstorm or, or through a hurricane or, or something like that, given the fact that there are a lot of thunderstorms right now and there happens to be, well, now a tropical storm uh, over Florida. So that's kind of the start of some really great things. We're going to be adding more widgets to this menu. So stay tuned for some really cool stuff that we're working on that I think everyone is really going to like. And that is all I will say about that for now, other than go check it out. And please let us know what you think about the new menu and then how do you interact with that. And you can rearrange things and, and hopefully we can bring all of the new stuff we're working on out uh, sooner rather than later. So I am excited about that and I will be thrilled to tell everyone more about that uh, as soon as I am able. So I'll, I'll leave it with a with, with a, a teasing cliffhanger, Jason. I'm excited. And if Jason's excited, you know it's going to be good. That's true. That's true. Hi, it's a very high bar. It, it, I mean, I, I expect nothing less. This has been episode 119 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik, here as always with Jason Rabinowitz. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.